Hey everyone, it's Avi here. If you haven't already heard, I'm one of the new co-hosts of the Brown Girl White Coat Pod. I am super excited to be here and to have joined this amazing group of co-hosts. I'm so thankful to Sai for giving me this opportunity to share my voice through this podcast. You can follow me personally on Instagram at Varma. And please be sure to follow the podcast Instagram page for upcoming episodes at Brown Girl White Coat Pod. So if you missed our brief intro episode a few weeks back, my name again is Avi. I am a family medicine physician working for a nonprofit organization based in Atlanta. I have a two-year-old daughter who keeps me quite busy. Um, I decided to join this podcast because I have a lot of different topics that I really want to talk about and share with all of you. One of the topics that is really near and dear to my heart is about mental health. If you missed last week's episode, please do check it out. One of our other new co-hosts, Aaliyah, talks about borderline personality disorder. This week, I'm fortunate to talk to the inspiring Dr. Flora Sinna, who is an internal medicine physician practicing in Southern California. In this episode, she and I will be talking about our experiences with postpartum depression, or PPD, which we both faced after we had our daughters. PPD is a very common mental health illness that affects as many as one in five women. Sadly, it often goes undiagnosed and can impact both the mother and the child. Dr. Sin and I will also be talking about postpartum anxiety, or PPA, which is often even less discussed than PPD. Unfortunately, there is still such a stigma around mental health, especially in the South Asian society, and we need to break that stigma. My hope through this episode is to not only make you aware of these conditions, but to also let you know that if you are facing either one or both of these conditions, that you are not alone. My second hope is to let you know that it's okay to feel the way you're feeling and to let you know that it's okay to not be okay. My third hope through this episode is to really work on normalizing these types of conversations. It's so important to understand that it's okay to express your feelings. It is not a weakness to share how you are feeling. It is not a weakness to let others know that you're depressed. It's important to talk about this. And the more we talk about this, the more we normalize this conversation, the further along we are in destigmatizing mental health illnesses. So please don't keep those feelings to yourself. Talk to your loved ones and seek help. So with that being said, I want to present to you guys this week's episode. I truly hope you guys find it informative and interesting, and I hope that you guys enjoy it. Let's welcome Dr. Flora Sinna to the show. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. I'm so excited to talk to you about mental health and the stigma that surrounds it, as well as working in the field of medicine and being a mother. Let's start our first segment, which is called Highs and Lows. So basically, we'll both share our high for the week, and then we'll go ahead and share our low for the week. Would you like to start? Yes. Oh my gosh. So my highs, and I know as a fellow physician, you will appreciate this, I have finished all of my notes. They're all closed. My inbox is clean. This is like a constant struggle for me. So I 
started off the week really strong because last week wasn't so strong. (laughs) I totally find that to be a high. (laughs) I'm on the same page with you. I love to see a clean inbox. I love to see notes signed off on. So I think that's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. It's like it's you're you're on a high until it just fills back up again, but that's okay. We're not, we're not going to concentrate on that. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Let's focus on the moment that we're in and really enjoy and savor it. So I, I, I definitely agree with you there. For me, I would say, so today was a big day for us. It was, uh, we went in and voted early this morning. Yay! Yeah. So Congratulations. Thank you. So I would say that was my high. We went in knowing that we'll probably have a long line. I mean, so we live in Georgia and we've heard that lines have been even eight hours mm-hmm. long. So literally went with a bottle of water. We didn't bring <laughs> chairs. I feel like we should have. Yeah everyone came prepared and it was so good to see majority of the people were wearing masks. Everyone knew to stand six feet apart. And there was such diversity in the people that came out to vote, you know, young, old. I was so happy and pleased by that. We were there for like two hours and then done. So really excited about that. That's Um, actually, that's that's great. I'm so proud of you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. The low for me, I'm really trying to figure out my balance between social media and my actual full-time paying job. (laughs) Right. Um, And I'm trying to figure out my my time and my balance and and how to make sure that it still fulfills my purpose. So I don't want to say it's a, I guess it's not really a low, but it's something that I'm struggling with right now. I see your point. You know, it is something that I feel like we're constantly working on in life. It's the balance of career and social media and family life. For me, my low would probably be, I haven't been eating too well, honestly. Like I am really ashamed of my eating choices for the past couple of days and drinking way too much chai. So I'm trying to... <laughs> limit that. I am a little bit of a chai addict. So yesterday I think I had like three cups. I was like, this is too much. (laughs) So (laughs) something that I will work on for sure. (laughs) Oh, well, I think it's great that you're recognizing it and yeah, you can only change from there. That's it. Right. Exactly. The next segment is called setting the record straight. This way we can get to know you a little more and get to know your opinions a bit more as well. So I'll present the statement and you can say whether that is true or false in your opinion. The first one is, I was always drawn to the field of medicine, specifically internal medicine. It took me a, a bit to get to this spot. My dad's a physician and the minute, and I'm also a firstborn. So I mean, stubbornness runs in my blood. And so when my dad expressed, both my parents expressed their wishes to me to go into medicine, I actually went into college and chose to be business major, (laughs) which was not for me, I, I am not cut out for anything, accounting, MBA, all, all that stuff just went completely over my head. So I eventually did switch, obviously, into science and eventually medicine. And then in medical school, I went through a, a lot of different fields. Um, initially, I actually wanted to be an REI physician, a reproductive endocrinologist. I was convinced that that's where I belong. And to a certain extent, I think I would still be very good at it and happy in the field. But ob and just a surgical branch, it wasn't for me. And so at that time I had to make a hard decision and say to myself, do you think 
you know, four years of OB-GYN residency would break you? And to me, the answer was yes. And so I decided to switch gears and eventually landed on IM. I could totally see you as an REI, by the way. Like (laughs) when you said that, I was like, wow, yeah, I totally, totally get it. So second statement, there needs to be better access to mental health care in the U.S. 100% true. We just don't have enough resources for ev- for everybody. And, you know, we can get into the politics of it, but I-, I just don't think mental health is funded well. Therefore, people either don't want to go into it or can't run a practice where it's easily accessible for patients. And it's really a shame given our rising rates of mental health illness and, and needs. So really a shame. And I-, I know you can probably relate coming from a primary care perspective. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely feel there's a lack of access in mental health care and so many patients struggle as a result of it. As primary care, we also struggle to an extent to get our patients that access. Mm -hmm. So I'm totally with you on it. So I wanted to ask, how are you doing? How are you feeling, especially during the pandemic? I appreciate that question. Um, you know, in the beginning, I have to say is in March, uh, it, it, it was tough. I had my own life changes. Um, we were selling in the middle of selling and buying a home. It ended up being the case right before the shutdown here in California, our home wasn't ready. So my family and I had to move into a hotel. Then the city shut down. I was working in coronavirus clinic. I stopped housekeeping in the hotel room. Gia's school shut down. I mean, it was just so many changes and I didn't even have a space. I felt so blessed and so grateful to have a roof over my head and to be able to be protected. But still, um, the uncertainties were very challenging. And my husband, who's also in healthcare, also went through very similar ups and downs. So that was a personal obstacle. And then going into being a primary care provider and things were changing so quickly to the point where I would tell a patient something that morning and by that afternoon, guidelines had changed, information had changed. And it was, it was rough because I took it upon myself to be that point person. And I felt like I wasn't guiding my patients correctly because information was changing so fast. And it wasn't obviously anything in my control. I also was obsessed with the news, obsessed with the changing guidelines. So I I would come home and immediately start researching just so I was educated. I had friends and family members also coming to me for advice and to not have a solid network of information to give out to anyone and everyone was really rough. So I dealt with that by distancing myself a little bit from the news. And, you know, it was it was as bad as I had to look up what Trump was saying every five seconds because patients would come to me asking about that. So if I wasn't prepared, I think I took it as a downfall on myself, which I don't think is the right approach. But um, I think after I distanced myself and I let go a lot of the, the guilt and accepted the fact that we're, everyone is on the same boat and we're all trying to work together towards the good of our patients. I think that helped me cope with all of the changes. But I think in the last however many months, we've reached somewhat of a stability when it comes to guidelines. It's made it slightly easier on our end to approach patients whenever they come to us with questions. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, everything you said 
I felt it because I went through the exact same thing. We're learning as we go when it comes to this novel virus and just kind of diving more into this, you know, you've been so open about mental health on Instagram. I mean, your posts are so raw and so real. And honestly, I could relate so much to what you share. So what made you decide to use your social media platform to talk about mental health? Initially, I had started my public social media account, Instagram account, um, to have people see a little more into my infertility journey. Um, I had secondary infertility and went through a a rough couple of years. Um, So that obviously affected my mental health. But then I also wanted to let others know that it wasn't only triggered by a very painful event or events that I had suffered from anxiety and depression for as long as I could remember. I just never put a label on it until much later in life. And it was because of all the stigma, stigma within our South Asian community, with my family, within the field of medicine. I mean, there were so many communities that I was a part of where it wasn't recognized and it was seen as a weakness. And I wanted to let others know that you're not alone and you're not weak. You can still be a successful physician, wife, mom, friend, daughter, sister, whatever, and still have these ups and downs. And it's okay. You grow from them and that's where you find strength from. So that was a huge kind of jumping off point for me because I noticed how isolated people felt. And yeah, I wanted to let them know that you're not alone. Yeah, I really appreciate everything that you share from your infertility journey that you mentioned. And, you know, the fact that you said that it wasn't necessarily the only thing that triggered it. There doesn't always have to be a reason, you know, so many of us go through it. And, you know, so many more of us are currently going through it, feeling isolated even more just because of the pandemic now. So I think you use your platform for such good. I know there are a lot of people out there that appreciate it, but I did want to talk to you a bit more also about your experience struggling with or experiencing uh, postpartum depression, you know, after having your daughter. Do you mind just sharing a little bit more about that and kind of your journey during that time? No, not at all. So I had Gia five years ago, and I had a really rough pregnancy. Um, I went through a lot of ups and downs, a a few medical issues, which I don't need to get into detail with, but it basically resulted in preterm labor. So I had Gia a little over six weeks early, and thank goodness she's a happy, healthy child. But, you know, I had just started my practice. I was less than a year out of residency, and that that had always been the plan is, you know, we wanted to get through residency and then feel things out and start trying. And thankfully, we got pregnant with Gia fairly easily. And thankfully, we had a healthy child. But I went back to work, I only gave myself six weeks. And it was almost a sense of pride at that time, which looking back, it sounds crazy. But I was so obsessed with the fact that I know I could do it all that there that wasn't a question. But I know I could do it all very well, I I could run a household, I could support my husband who was in a grueling fellowship, I can be a mom, I could be a good doctor, I can build my practice. There's just so many pressures I put on myself, I extended my leave to eight weeks because Gia was in the NICU for two weeks. I just didn't give myself some any extra buffer. We were so lucky to have our parents um, who live in a different state, but relatively close by. I had uh, my mother and my mother-in-law switch off however many months at a time for the first year. 
And so I definitely felt a set, sense of comfort, I think. And then they left. <laughs> and, so, <Yeah. laughs> and so there were a lot of changes all at once. And with all the pressures I put on myself, I realized I was feeling very out of control. Here I have this preemie infant who was thriving and growing. Here I was who had a beautiful home, a job. I had help. I had family who was flying in and out. I mean, in my head, I had no reason to feel what I was feeling. So I pushed it aside and I kept chugging along because that's what I do. That's what moms do. That's what doctors do. That's what females do. And man, it, it came back to, to just bite me in the ass. But yeah, it, it came to a point where I literally would look in the mirror and it's, and it's so hurtful or painful to say this out loud, but I would look in the mirror and say, you're worthless. You don't deserve all this. What are you doing? Who do you think you are? You can't handle this. I, I would say these awful, awful things to myself out loud. And on top of that, think it. Yet I would still chug along with my daily ins and outs. And it came to a point where I, I, I basically had a breakdown I, I, to the point where I said to myself, I can't do this. I can't do any of this, which obviously was false, but it really made me realize I had to self-reflect and get help and really look at what I was doing to myself and how can I change to truly fully be there for everyone who needs me instead of shoving things under the rug and ignoring them because that's how you approach any problem, let alone a mental health issue in yourself. I did go to therapy. I didn't need medications. I did gratitude journaling, self-reflections, meditations, and a lot of mindset, mind shift changes. Changing my mindset, I think, really helped me at that time and really turning that verbiage around and not only being positive, being realistic. I'm, I'm not an optimist per se, but just being realistic and acknowledging my feelings. Like, hey, I am feeling overwhelmed. How can I change this? How can I not feel as overwhelmed where, to the point where it's debilitating? And I kind of went through that with each feeling, even if I'm happy, I'm really happy right now. And I know this, this, this high is not going to last, but I'm going to really be in the moment and appreciate why I'm happy, right. find yeah. gratitude, and then move forward and not hang on to something that, you know, that is unrealistic because life has obstacles and it's always unexpected. And if you hang on to the point where, oh, I'm going to be happy and stable and balanced forever and ever and ever, it's really a letdown. And so um, that's kind of how I approached the, the year or two after that. I also got into fitness, which changed my life. I was approaching fitness and, and, and mental and physical well-being all wrong. And so um, I invested into in a trainer for three months, learned a lot about weight training and body shaming and eating right. And it, it sounds so interesting. It sounds so funny saying that because I'm a primary care physician. This is what I counsel them on, on the daily with every patient, regardless of what they're in for. Right. But it really took me self-reflecting and really diving into that to kind of move forward. 
that's kind of how what I went through because I also went through postpartum mm-hmm. depression. So I totally get, you know, where you're coming from and what you're saying with that. And I was just curious, you know, there's more and more talk on and more awareness around postpartum depression, which is so important, but unfortunately it still goes undiagnosed or it mm-hmm. gets missed often. And the other mental health illness that gets missed oftentimes is postpartum anxiety. So I just wanted to gauge your thoughts on that, especially when you went back to work. Did you experience any of that? How were you feeling at that time? When I went back to work, I think because I had family involved, I felt okay. I, I Surprisingly, I was really excited to start speaking to other adults and, <laughs> and, and do what I had trained so hard for. So I didn't have as much separate... Well, I wouldn't call it separation anxiety. I missed her like crazy. I, you know, I would manifest my quote anxiety with being upset if someone didn't hand me my baby the minute I stepped in the door. Very unreasonable yeah. requests and expectations. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I didn't suffer from panic attacks. I have before, but not in relation to uh, my postpartum period. I manifested my anxiety, I think, more with the things that I, I didn't have control around me. I have grown so much with letting go of control. I want to live in a house that looks like it's never been lived in. And as you know, that is absolutely impossible, regardless of whether you have kids or not. But once kids are in the picture, that entire idea is out the window unless oh, you yeah. have 50 people helping you. <laughs> oh, right. 800%. <laughs> <laughs> so it was things like that, like clutter would make my anxiety high stuff, all the stuff that you need to get for babies, all the stuff that other people get you for your baby. It drove me a little, a little up the wall. So that's how my anxiety manifested. It wasn't really anything around Gia. I think it also, again, I felt comfortable with my family around and my husband, who's a pediatric cardiologist he was pediatric trained. So I felt I trust him. I trust his opinion. I trust his his, his medical knowledge. And so I wasn't as anxious as I would have expected to be around Gia. For me, I would say it was the opposite. (laughs) I, so I actually, I went back to work at 10 weeks and I actually like 10 weeks postpartum and I had this strategy. I was like, I'm going to do a couple days a week versus going straight back in hundred percent. It's going to be great. The flow and transition is going to be easy, but until you're in that moment, you don't realize it's still going to be difficult for you, you yeah. know? So for me, I still remember the morning I was leaving her. So we actually ended up hiring a nanny who'd started a few weeks prior just to kind of learn how. I wanted things done. And it wasn't a matter of not trusting her, but it was trusting anyone else with her, you know? Mm-hmm. So it was like, is she going to be okay? Is she going to miss me? Granted, she's a newborn. I mean, yeah. <laughs> what, I what, how it. many emotions? <laughs> but still, I like, I remember shaking and crying so much Aww. and staring at my phone at work, like, oh my God, any minute now I'm going to be called that there's an emergency at home. Yeah. Like I was devastated, but you know, I mean, everyone's anxiety manifests in different ways. So it's, it's just, you know, looking back, I'm like, wow, was I irrational? What was it? <laughs> Did I really behave that way? But you know, it's, it happens. 
Yeah. It happens and yes. it's fine. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I love that you said that. I love that you mentioned yeah. that it's fine because it yeah. is. It Absolutely. is okay. And I think the part where we don't do enough of is recognizing that we are being unreasonable at times. (laughs) That it's okay. You have hormones coming and two, you just made and brought a human into your into everyone's lives and then you're leaving them. That's that's deep. That's a lot. But it is okay. It is okay to feel that way. It is okay to acknowledge that. Absolutely. And it's why it makes it so difficult to hear and understand that there is this stigma around mental health in our society. But so many people suffer from mental health illnesses, you know, so many, it's so much more common than we think. And it's something that absolutely needs to change in our society. And I know that, you know, a lot more awareness around is around this. And I think that's great. But I think we need to continue to talk about it and make sure and make people understand and recognize that it is okay. So why do you think or why do you feel like there is such a stigma around mental health in our society? I think it's a couple of factors play in. I think in the field of medicine and in our South Asian community, we all have a lot of pride and our perseverance and motivation, determination, really, we, we have a lot of pride in that as we all should. Also, in both communities in the South Asian community, we put a lot of emphasis in others think of us and we put a lot of our worth into that, which is incorrect and and not healthy. I'm just going to start with that. But when you start labeling people with depressed mood, depression, generalized anxiety disorder, anxiety state, panic attacks, all of these quote labels and diagnoses they are linked to negative connotations. And because of, I think, a lack of education, a lack of true understanding of what is mental health and the dichotomy of you can have mental health issues and still be successful. The fact that we even use that word still in relation to the two, there's so much that weighs on it. And so I think in both communities by, and I think we're getting better at it, but we definitely have a long way to go in offering not only support, but unbiased support. It's really easy to say, oh, so-and-so has excellent grades, got into the top medical school, great residency program, or that person is married, has kids, is successful in her career, his career. It's easy to say, to get all those objective check marks that people mark off and equivalent that to happiness and content and satisfaction. I mean, that's why rich people get depressed. You know, and and I don't want to minimize that, but it's like, it, it doesn't have to do with all the materialistic or check boxes that we all kind of grow up wanting to meet. I think that's what builds a lot of that stigma because we, we need to change our entire mindset when it comes to how we approach not only mental health, but how we just approach everyday behaviors. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that this sense or notion that having, you know, mental health illness or issue is a weakness needs Mm -hmm. to go like the whole negativity around it needs to go. And, you know, the questions you get asked, like, well, why are you depressed? Mm -hmm. What's wrong with you? Mm -hmm. You have no reason to be depressed. That's what needs to change. 
is that there doesn't have to be a reason. It can happen to anyone. And I love that we're having this conversation. It's just something, like you said, we're doing better. But there's still a long way to go. So I want to change gears a little bit and talk about things from the primary care perspective. So we tend to see a lot of different things, a lot of different conditions for our patients. But oftentimes when our patients are pregnant, they kind of transition most of their care to their OB for the time being. And then, you know, they attend their six-week postpartum checkup, and then we may or may not see them for several months after that. I fear that that's part of the reason why a lot of our patients who are struggling with mental health don't end up getting the care they need, because there is no standard of care in terms of follow-up for those patients who might be struggling with mental health issues. So how do you feel we as healthcare providers can address this need in order to make sure that we're not missing as many of these cases of postpartum depression and or postpartum anxiety. You're you're right. And one of the few times in primary care where we're not the primary. <laughs> and <Right>. so um, <laughs> when, you know, when someone gets pregnant, it, we obviously send them off to OB. And I think ob Guide does have great screening guidelines, but you're right. From a follow-up perspective, it, it's difficult to pinpoint and continue to follow up. I, I think there needs to be, and in some cases there are, but overall, I think there needs to be more of a standardization between communication between our ob and the primary care doctors whom they are sending the patient back to and saying, you know, hey, I'm done. Baby's delivered. Mom's healthy. I just want to make sure you check in with her at whatever interval. And from our perspective, I think it's difficult, you're right, to kind of keep tabs on all of these patients. And you have panels in the thousands. So we have all of these patients who all need us. And I think it's healthy to give up a little of the ownership and, and put that responsibility on the patient to reach out to us when they need us instead of us being kind of the, the only gatekeeper. But when you're in that zone, as you mentioned, it's tough for someone to know who to reach out to. So whenever someone gets pregnant, if I am the the doctor who tells them about their pregnancy, I kind of walk them through everything. I let them know that this is what to expect when it comes to who you will be seeing. I, I go into, okay, this is who you're going to be reporting to. Anything outside of the pregnancy, I'm still here. I'm still your doctor. You are more than welcome to touch base with me at any point in time. And then I also counsel them on the postpartum period. So I also let them know, and especially if they have a history of anxiety or or depression, I will also warn them and say, look, I want you and your family to have an open, candid conversation about your mood. And I want you to continuously check in with yourself. At the six-week period or at your follow-up, I want you to be upfront with your ob guide And if there are any hardships that are outside of these hormonal changes and life changes, I'm here. I want you to come to me and talk to me. We will discuss whether you need therapy or medications or whatever. I think there's so much stigma against medications as well. And in the postpartum period, we're worried about things leaking to the breast milk or things that would, God forbid, affect our baby. And there's this notion that all medications are bad and all medications will affect not only me, but my baby. So I I try to also educate them that you have options. I'm not going to throw meds at you as a first treatment plan. And so I think by educating them before 
forehand, I'm hoping I'm catching them on the back end. But I think there just needs to be more of a standardization from the higher ups administratively. And given the rate of postpartum depression, I think it would be time and money well spent. But that's a little above my pay grade. (laughs) (laughs) So if we can start with our patients and our institution, I think that may trickle up. But yeah, all, all a work in progress, I think. Absolutely agree with you. I mean, I think counseling and education are definitely things that we as primary care can do for our patients. And yeah, like you said, I mean, I think things on an institutional level definitely have to change. So I really think it's a team effort, you know, on all sides. And so with that, I think we're going to wrap up this episode. This has been so great. Thank you so much, Dr. Sinha, truly for being here. I've really enjoyed our chat today. Same. I really appreciate what you guys are doing and and normalizing these conversations is so important, especially within our medical and South Asian community. So I I hope this whole conversation really helps somebody that is is suffering right now. Absolutely. And so I wanted to ask, would you like to share your Instagram handle and any other social media account information that you may want to share with our listeners so they can reach out to you or check out, you know, your amazing content that you put out there for everyone? I appreciate the kind words. Um, yeah, I'm primarily on Instagram. Uh, my handle is at Dr. Dr. Uh, underscore flow Sinha. Um, I'm pretty easy to find and I'm, I'm friends with you as well. So. <laughs> Thank you so much again. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, guys. So that concludes this week's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed speaking with Dr. Sina. Again, you can follow her on Instagram at Dr. Underscore Flow Sinha. And I just wanted to say thank you guys so much for taking a listen. And I hope it was informative and interesting. And again, I just wanted to say that it's important to keep having these conversations about mental health because I truly believe that is one of the biggest ways that we can really destigmatize this conversation and destigmatize mental health. If you guys have any specific topics that you're interested in hearing me talk about or any specific guest speakers that you want me to bring on the show, feel free to message me on Instagram at dr.avivarma and please again be sure to follow us at brown girl white coat pod on Instagram and share this episode with others that you feel need to listen in to this and thanks for making this podcast a part of your day wherever you are.